Now from calm to chaos, that's the situation in Boko as another round of killings took place in the area just hours after the municipal chief executive told, told join news the area has been peaceful for the past 24 hours. Boko continues to grapple with the profound loss of lives, with the latest being the killing of six people in the community after a bus conveying market women were shot at. More of that surely. First, though, in the wake of the renewed clashes in Boko, the Peace Council has issued a ceasefire aiming to suppress the violence in the town. The council is mobilizing various stakeholders to foster dialogue between the feuding factions. Sheikh Aramiyao Shaibu is a council member of the uh, is a member of the council who spoke to my colleague MFA Apao on the probe on Sunday. I would wish that we really, really get our politicians from the northern part of the, of the country. To, to establish a certain united front where both NDC and the MPP and the other political parties who are MPs are now talking collectively about the situation uh, and how the, the situation is dire and the, the circumstance that is putting the people of Boku in. Um, you see, the naming and shaming sometimes, for those of us who are peace activists, we are very particular about what we say in public okay. so that it doesn't undermine our strategy to want to bring the warring factions together at a round table. Once you pass judgment, next time you are calling the person, you are not getting him. Okay. And the situation gets more and more aggravated. So we prefer that we identify such people and then probably behind the scenes call them and draw their attention to the evils, to the evils and the negative impact of what they are doing. So we can speak to their conscience and get them to change in their mindset and also influence the mindset of those people who are there. Young people who could become great people are losing their ed education. They are becoming more and more poor. They can't go to the farm. They cannot make money. And yet people from far away somewhere are sponsoring these sophisticated weapons that we are talking about. Now, the Peace Council says it has done a lot in trying to bring the problem in Boko under control, but there are some roadblocks that must be cleared. It's a disturbing um, situation. Um, we are getting briefing about the breakdown of security, um, targeted killings that are going on. The Regional Peace Council is, if you, if you like, at its wit's end to be able to really, really find solution to, the, to this problem. Um, we from the National Peace Council here have traveled uh, on, on some several occasions um, to Boku. Um, we have met with the, 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 the Boku Naba. Uh, we have met with him and the chief of the Mampresi community of, also in, in Boku. Um, at the time, our target was to plead with them to cease fire and to allow all the processes put in place to ensure that we are able to find lasting solution to, to the problem. Um, it appears to me during the time um, we, we, we got some cooperation. Uh, unfortunately, just not too long after we have done, left the place, um, we heard about a renewed you know, tension where some people were, have, have, been, have been killed. Uh, we made the second attempt. Um, we reached um, Bolga where we were advised that it was not safe for us to travel to Boko at the time. So we have to remain at Bolga and then fly back and travel back to Tamale and then back to Accra. But before we came, we had a chance to meet the regional police commander who also gave us um, some briefing about exactly the situation down there. Um, one of the things that 
he told us, which we find very, very disturbing, is about the availability of sophisticated weapons. Uh, that availability itself uh, serves like a motivation. The source of those sophisticated weapons, we are unable to tell where they are coming from. Um, it appears that there are different, uh, there are many of the members of both Kosasi and uh, Mamprusi that are uh, spread in other parts of this country and also outside the country uh, who may also be having their contributions towards their various uh, communities. But we are un unable to say with, with surety that uh, where the source of those uh, weapons are, are coming from. Now, on Monday, we understand new shootings broke out, leading to the death of six people. Joining us with the latest is our man on the ground, Albert. Sorry, Albert, uh, what led to the death of these people and have we confirmed the numbers? Yes, please. So, um, just before I joined you, I was just having a brief chat uh, with the municipal chief executive. Um, I have been able to cross-check the figures uh, with my sources within the police service, uh, but I wanted to find out from him if um, he has, you know, the same briefing, and he says that he doesn't have the full briefing yet, and so uh, we should give him some time to get back to us. So um, I would say that um, on, on our end, I have checked the figures, and uh, this is what we have, uh, six people. Uh, they include um, two men and four women. Um, but to your other question about how it happened, uh, we are told that this bus um, was carrying passengers who are mainly traders. Uh, from Boko towards uh, a market located in the Binduri district, which is this, uh, just the neighboring district outside of uh, Boko. The moment you leave Boko and you're headed towards Boga, the next uh, district you get into is the Binduri district before you get to the black. And so this was where they were headed when uh, the bus was accosted and um, the gunmen opened fire on the bus and it led to uh, the killing of these six people and uh, two people at least who are injured. Uh, so that is what we know. Very trying times. But, but have we been able to identify those behind it and to also get a sense of why they did what they did? Well, it, it's, it's normally difficult to tell. Um, even in the, in the previous, this is not the first time this has happened. And um, in the previous situations, what usually happens is that they, they do uh, a somewhat quick operation and they do it in such a way that by the time the security agencies arrive, they normally would have finished with what, what they plan to do and run away from the place. In, in the case of today's incident, it was the same thing. Uh, although it was in broad daylight, it appears that they monitored the movement of the, the, the patrols, which we were told today uh, had been very intense inside the Boko Township. In the outskirts, we cannot tell how intense the patrols were. So um, from the information that we have gathered, it appears that they just laid ambush in a place where uh, they were sure that the security agencies would not be able to easily get to them. And uh, the moment they uh, carried out their operation, they immediately bolted. But the reason they do this normally is because the, the patrols in Boko um, Town and the presence of the security is so high in the Boko Township itself 
such that it's very difficult for people to, uh, you know, carry out such shootings without getting caught. And so what they normally would do is that uh, they monitor each other and once they are sure that their enemy is in a vehicle headed somewhere and they know they have the, um, the capability of accosting them somewhere outside of the town, then that is what they do. Uh, you remember sometime last year there was a similar incident uh, in neighboring Kusiga as well when, again, a group of women were traveling to Senkase in neighboring Togo to mm. carry out their business and their bus was ambushed and fired at. And so, um, you know, these are the reasons. They are doing it, one, uh, from what we learned, to avoid getting caught by the security mm. and also because in the, in the outskirts it appears to be easier for them to carry out uh, such attacks. Mm. Uh, if, if you can just uh, wrap it for me in the next uh, 30 seconds. What's the situation there tonight, this evening as we speak? Well, in, during the day, um, shortly after the shooting, people were very tense. A, a lot of people were scared. So mm. even in broad daylight, people had already gone indoors. The streets were almost deserted because one, uh, for their own safety and also mm. because... Today, in particular, the patrols, both on foot and even vehicular patrols, were very intense in the Boko Township itself. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people were avoiding being on the streets because of the fact that they don't want to get into trouble with the military and also because of uh, what had happened mm -hmm. for their own safety and for fear of escalations. They just had to stay indoors. Okay. Um, so okay. mm -hmm. tonight, that is what we expect. All right. Now, uh, thank you very much, Albert. Uh, now, many experts have argued that the Boko conflict has been growing due to the availability of small arms in the area, mostly of which are illegal. Isaac Ophiege is a lead data analyst here at Joe News, and he joins me in studio with data on illicit arms in Ghana. Kofi, you've been going through the, the data. Mm. What does it say? So, Kojo, just like we heard mm. from Albert, the death mm. toll is actually increasing and the people actually doing this with you know small arms and uh, also what we call the light weapon so we've been doing some digging uh, to check the situation in ghana at the moment in 2021 per our checks we understand uh, the situation was around 1.2 million that is the number of small arms mm. and the light weapons in the system currently we are looking around 2 million and um, echoas estimate this uh, um, you know, above 2 million small arms and then, you know, light weapons currently in the system. So within a very short period of time, the estimates or the projections have actually gone up from that 1.2 million in 2021 to now 2, two million. million. Some say more than 2 million. Mm. But I want to show you the next slide that talks about the situation in Africa. Mm. That makes it very, very difficult uh, for, you know, security, um, you know, agencies to fight this. So we are looking at about... 100 million arms, small arms and weapons actually uh, in circulation in Africa. And we believe, ECOWAS estimate that about 10% of this uh, 100 million is actually in West Africa. Wow. And if you look at 10 million and 10%, then we're looking at 10 million arms actually in Africa, West Africa, and majority of them are in the, you know, the Sahelian regions. And if we are looking at 100 million and 10 million in West Africa, and we are talking about Ghana having about 2 million, then it means we are more or less having about 20% of the number of arms in circulation mm. 
in West Africa, which is a huge figure mm. according to estimates uh, by ECOWAS. So, so we know the debt toll is actually rising. Mm. We also know that the number of you know small arms and you know light weapons are also increasingly mm. being circulated in the system. Interesting numbers there. Thank you very much. Now, um, away from this story. Ghana Water Company says Ghana's population has outgrown the quantity of water it supplies, hence the shortage of the commodity in some parts of Accra and the central region. The situation has compelled some residents to spend more on sachet water for their household chores, while others are left with the option of relying on unwholesome water sources. There's more in this report by Stanley Niblew. Pipes in some parts of Accra have remained dry for weeks. Resident of Adenta, Wager, La, Dakuman, Odoko, Fadama, and Kaswa are among the hardest hit communities. A visit to Dakuman, Alafia, Monday showed residents trek several kilometers in search of water. Here, taps have been closed for weeks, compelling the people to explore alternative water sources to augment their water supply needs. Some say the distance they cover to source for water is affecting their health. It's been two years that we've been searching for water. It has not been easy for us. They must do something about the situation because carrying that every day is affecting our health. This well is polluted but stranded resident buy water from it and use. Businesses that depend on water for their activities have had to temporarily shut down their operations. They say, I can no water, no vote. We have resolved not to vote if our taps do not flow. If the shortage is induced by technical problem, they should let us know because residents at Fadama and Dakuman are really suffering. My sister, who is a hairdresser, is compelled to shut down her salon because she does not get water supply. The Ghana Water Company Limited has meanwhile assured its customers of water supply before the close of this week. The urban water management body explained that the water crisis occurred because the country's population has outgrown the capacity of water it can supply. Hence, it will need funding to set up a new system at Pong to boost water production. Now, communications manager of the Ghana Water Company Limited, Stanley Marte, joins us via Zoom. Grateful to you for joining us. Question is, if the company says that the population has outgrown your capacity. Someone will be asking, what has the company been doing in terms of planning all of these years? Because you knew the population is growing. Mr. Mate, can you, can you unmute so we can hear you telling us? Eh? Thank you very much. Hmm. Uh, we were um, our development plans um, over uh, for some time now, more than um, 10 years. Okay, and we've been updating it um, over, over the years. So we are aware that this needs to be done. But what we keep saying is that it's about funding. It's about investment into the water sector. Mm -hmm. So when they're able to get investors to do due diligence and ensure that whatever we have to do will meet the test of time, then we go ahead and we do it. And all these processes take a bit of time. So it's not like they're just sitting aloof. But there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. Every day we get investors coming in. But it's mm -hmm. not like you just come to tell us that, you have money and expertise to do this, and then we just give it a go-ahead to, to do that. It doesn't work that way. We need to go through a certain process, okay? Do due diligence, go through our ministry, ministry of finance, parliament, back to the ministry, back to parliament, to cabinet, 
back to parliament and all that before the final go ahead uh, is given so there's a lot of work being done and when that is done then you see the sort uh, the sort being cut for the commencement of um, um, uh, any project so there's a lot being done behind the scenes but unfortunately um uh, we cannot bring that to the public domain until that 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 is done well mr Mate, so you're saying that over all these years we have not been able to get private people to put their money into the, the company i mean to set up uh, infrastructure that would help us get water to feed the people is, is that what you're saying it takes a lot of time for that to be that process to be completed so if let's say along the line where you have worked let's say with two or three people and then after a whole year realize that they do not have the expertise or what it takes to do the job that they are asked that they want to do mm. what else do you do than to to, to, to stop them because we're also thinking about the future and posterity will judge us if we do not do things right. Okay. We need we need to be very careful when we are doing some of these things. And that's exactly what a, a responsible company and a responsible group of people like GWCL is doing. But what about the company itself? Because you, you, you make money from the sales of water. Why are you not able to invest in improving the infrastructure so that you can meet the demands of your customers? When you say we make money from the water that we sell, I don't really know what you're talking about. We need to break it down. Mm. Um, for instance, last um, a couple of years ago, when we were uh, trying to um, in, in let Ghanaians know that there needs to be an upward adjustment on the, in tariff, um, everybody uh, didn't understand what we were talking about. Now, the tariff that we have, we are unable to even break even. The tariffs are not cost-reflected. Okay, so now um, uh, every cubic meter of water that we sell, we make some 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 losses. But if the cost of production is around, uh, let's say, averagely 15 cities or 21 cities, and excuse me, and the tariff, average tariff is around 8.5. It means for every cubic meter of water that you sell, you lose some money. You know, we produce close to 200 million gallons of water in the country on a daily basis. So you can imagine the amount of money that we use. Apart from this, people are stealing the water and, and, and not paying via illegal connections and other more practices. People are refusing to pay their bills the way they should. How are we going to make the money? Look at the pollution of um, our water bodies, which is making cost of production increasingly high um, 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 all, all the time. How are we going to pay? How are we going to uh, make money to buy chemicals, okay, to uh, uh, change old pumps, to buy pipelines, mm -hmm. and then to build new uh, treatment plants as well? That is not feasible. So we are managing the situation. We are working with government. We all have plans. Government has a vision. The GWCL has a vision. And we are all working together to ensure that we are able to meet the target that we have set for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean that we'll do the wrong thing. We'll do the right thing and ensure that we meet the targets that uh, we have set for ourselves and for the nation. Thank but you. That's quite important. I need, I need you to, for, for you to do this for me in 30 seconds. You, you are promising the people that they will get water. When is water flowing through our taps? Now, the eastern part of our car is stabilized because more is functioning and functioning effectively. Um, the desalination plant is giving us some water, um, although not up to full capacity. And then this, this afternoon, um, as at 1 o'clock, we've been able to finish with and that of wager we are still monitoring the pumps and we are expecting that they are going to uh, 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 stand the test of time and continue producing water so all things being equal barring any technical hitches um, maybe the system should stabilize 
by close of day um, tomorrow. But we are still monitoring the system and we'll keep um, our consumers and customers updated. Okay. All right. Grateful to you for joining us. So from one utility company, let's move to another utility company, the electricity company of Ghana, because it says it is yet to implement the 15% value-added tax on power for above lifeline levels consumers. As of government's post-COVID recovery plan, the finance minister officially notified every distributor through the Ministry of Energy to impose a levy on power consumers above lifeline levels, a policy which it says should take effect from this month, January 2024. But the standard communications manager of the electricity company of Ghana, Leila Abubakari, tells Joy News ECG needs a bit more time to understand how the, to implement the new regime. She also touched on how the company is dealing with the, its debt obligations to independent power producers. Bless us again as the rest of the story. In its latest post on social media, the electricity company of Ghana acknowledged the impact of the intermittent power cuts across the country while indicating that it is actively working to resolve the crisis. There is mounting pressure on the country's energy distributor ECG to announce a load-shedding exercise which will allow power consumers plan effectively for the unexpected outages. But ECG is downplaying the calls and allaying the fears of the public. Leila. Abubakari is the external communications manager at the electricity company of Ghana. There were unforeseen events that led to power outages. However, all these issues have been resolved to the barest minimum. We are very sure that these outages are not those that we have foreseen or as a result of a generation shortfall. It would be a local fault. And, but when someone says give them a load shedding timetable, then it means that we are sure that there's definitely a deficit. When you are not sure there's a deficit, how can you give a timetable for something that doesn't exist? If we know that we are going to be short of a certain amount of um, kilowatts per hour or gigawatts per hour, and we know it's going to be for a particular period of time, then we can come out and give our customers a timetable. But if it's something that is unforeseen, like if one plant um, all of a sudden goes off because they had an issue that they had to terminate, or if we didn't, ex- we didn't expect that maybe a tree will fall on a very important line or one of our BSPs catches fire and we are not aware of these things coming at us, how can we give a timetable to the customers? The Ministry of Finance at the start of the year wrote an official letter communicating to the Ministry of Energy on the need for the imposition of a 15% value-added tax on consumption of electricity for those above the lifeline level. A month into that directive, the electricity company of Ghana says it would need some additional time to effectively work out the computation for the imposition of this new levy. So the value-added tax announcement that came uh, into effect in January has appalled a lot of our customers. The truth of the matter is that we haven't started implementing it, even though that letter says that it should have been activated in January. The reason being we still have to understand how to implement this tax. So we are having uh, active conversations with the Ministry of Finance, with the Ghana Revenue Authority, and with other stakeholders who have also brought their concerns forward. 
So for now, there's no value-added tax as announced included in residential tariff or residential customers buying electricity. For now, it's still the old status quo. We've maintained an active engagement with our stakeholders who mostly comprise of the power generators to have them on the same page with us in terms of payments. I think since last year, our revenue generation has um, increased and we found the way of uh, ring fence you know, having an agreement with the IPPs to hold on to the legacy debts that we owe them. But we are very up to date with the current bills that come to our desk. We try as much as possible to pay off those debts so that they can also function as um, businesses. This is Ogan reporting for Joy News. Electro House, Accra. Now, the industrial action by the Investee Senior Staff Association of Ghana is biting hard on the KNUSA campus as teachers at the University's basic school boycott class in demand for the restoration of their Tier 2 pension and overtime allowances. Pupils of the school have resorted to self-learning to keep busy. The local chapter of the association says the strike will continue due to the government's failure to meet their demands following a meeting with the Labour Commission. My colleague Emmanuel bright Kweku has been monitoring the impact on campus and has more in this report. Three days into the industrial action by the University Senior Staff Association, the impact is telling on the KNUST campus. Members under the association took to the streets of the campus and thronged the administration office to vent their displeasure. Basic school teachers, security and library personnel and other administrative officers have abandoned their duties in demand for the restoration of their overtime allowances and payments of Tier 2 pensions. Nana Bedia Kobaye is the Secretary of the Senior Staff Association at KNUST. Our demands are also very important to us. We have to balance work and whatever we get from the work. And that is why we are on strike. Yes, we know that most of the teachers at the KNUST Basic School are currently at home. We know the security personnel are currently at home. We know the library staff are currently at home. We know that most of the departments, the workers there who are senior staffs are at work. What we are saying is that the government should listen to us so that we go back to work as soon as possible. Now, teachers and educational workers union at the University of Ghana have joined the indefinite strike by the Senior Staff Association of Ghana of public universities. Now, they are demanding for better conditions of service and payment of their Tier 2 pension, which, according to them, has not been paid by government in recent years, thereby affecting the pension payments of their members who have recently retired. The Senior Staff Association of the various public universities strike began on January 17th. At the University of Ghana campus Monday, the industrial action was in full force, with members vowing not to return to their various duties until their demands are met. When that cuts across, is it year two? Everybody will go on pension. Everybody will go on pension. And, and if we are going to sit, to grow old, go on pension, even as we are active now, who is listening to us? Then if you go on pension, who will listen to you? So this is the time to fight, to let management and the bodies, the, the powers that be, to understand that they shouldn't wait for us to go and, and be beggars for saving the nation. The association, together with the Teachers and Educational Workers Union, TEWU, is however unhappy some of their members flouted their directives and cautioned them to desist from such acts or face the consequences. 
Initially, when I came, the place was locked. So we, we came here. This is the second time that the place opened. We came to meet one of our staff here. And we are asking her, I mean, religiously, she should leave and go and rest at home. We have sent a signal. We said, any worker who thinks that he's bigger than the union, the owner will not have it easy for that person at all. This is the Rojo News Prime. We'll take a quick break. We'll bring you business afterwards. Do stay. the university with 26 years of excellence in education now in Ghana. We are both the university offering degree programs in health information management, software engineering, network security and computer forensics. Admission is in progress with up to 50% scholarships for the first 150 students. Locate us at East Ligon near ANC Mall. Call 0302-523782 or WhatsApp 020-990-4714 for more details. Both the university, vibrance, innovation. In life, you sometimes seem to be cruising along. But just when you least expect it, things could go horribly wrong. Leave nothing to chance. Let Geico Group help you achieve your goals with customized solutions for life and general insurance, healthcare, and finance. Geico, we cushion you for life. Across Africa, a new era has begun. Shifting our focus to a new horizon, connecting us with the one purpose to create and share opportunities to grow. Today, we are making a brighter tomorrow, built by our dreams and our energy. Across our continent, across the world, we are creating a better way to a better future. A pan-African future, together. EcoBank, a better way, a better Africa. Daddy, Daddy, this tank is big! Yes, that's true. It can store a lot of water. That's so true. Wow, it has a working surface on it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I can see S I N T E X syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil. That's not true. But why? Why? <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. Syntex gives you the biggest warranty seven years. No matter your water needs, Syntex is the answer. Syntex tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Up, up. 
Apa, Simapscan and Wood Promo. Philadelphia, Ruta, Pinyanum Dice for Messing for any artisans now. Simapscan and Wood Promo. Binami, after what you see, quality Simap cement. Our show, 50 kilograms. Kusuno, for sa, a Jumano, and in Kraki. Minya, minya luzo, koswana skane, na simaf scan and win promo idea. Oh, bia, ye winner. Shannon so say, who abos me mi ensa, I would be build all points. And she shake It's time you switch to Bell Park today. Welcome, let's do some business with me, Emma Davis. Economics lecturer at the University of Ghana, Dr. Osu Sakodie, has stated that despite the positive improvements of the country's macroeconomic indicators, Ghana's economy has not fully recovered yet. His comment is coming at a time the International Monetary Fund is predicting a 15% end-of-year inflation in 2024. Speaking to Joy Business, Dr. Sarkodia said there's still more to be done to optimize the significant gains made over the period. Things have declined rapidly as uh, we are all aware. Uh, about a year ago, it was around 54%. Today, it's around 23%, which is remarkable. The SM rate has stabilized. Uh, to me, the SM rate is a major contributor to inflation. So if you're able to stabilize the city, then you can really fight inflation uh, from the front. Uh, also, from the angle of mon- tight monetary policy, government is doing zero central bank financing, also tight fiscal policy. Government is not going beyond 5% of GDP budget deficit. And all these indicators are showing positive signs. And so kudos to all of us for achieving this. But we are on the recovery path. But the question must be made that we haven't arrived yet. Ghana's economy has not fully recovered because the Bank of Ghana's target for inflation is always 8, plus or minus 2. That's, that means it should be between 6 and 10%. So even though it has declined rapidly from 64 to 23%, we are so far from the medium-term target of 10%, so we should try and, and arrive at the single-digit inflation in the next coming years. As part of efforts to ensure business continuity and enhance employee motivation, leading indigenous insurance company, Star Life Assurance, has rewarded selected sales executives for their outstanding, for their outstanding performance in 2023. The Star Life 2023 Race of Champions, which aims to recognize hardworking sales executives, also serves as a tool to motivate staff. There is more in this report. Overall, 70 sales executives were honored in the Star Life 2023 race of the champions. The best performing executives were selected from various branches of Star Life Assurance across the country. 
Deserving members of the sales force were rewarded with local and foreign trips for the outstanding performance in 2023. The head of individual distribution at Star Life Assurance, Peter Chenimo, details the rationale behind the move. Every year we reward the best of the best. We do this because, of course, as I said, they drive the business. And you know motivation is so key. Uh, it's a motivation at all, or sometimes we call it an incentive at all. We started way back in 2009. Uh, for the foreign trips, we started 22 weeks, suspended there because of uh, COVID. So essentially to reward them and appreciate them for the hard work that they've done to push Star Life to number one when it comes to assets and then number two when it comes to uh, market share. He explains the need to expand insurance coverage to the informal sector. We, we have our sister company, Star Micro, doing a lot over there. Uh, we have partnership with a number of rural banks, uh, the teacher market, you know, this semi-informal, and even um, our collaboration or partnership with uh, Phobia and Fabu, Kotoko, Asante Kotoko and House of Oak, is also a way of bringing the informal sector in. We also have partnership with Ghana Pentecostal and Charismatic Council and it cuts across everywhere. So with these partnerships and the collaborations, uh, we are trying to bring insurance to the lowest level of society. Patient Ajay and Joseph Tete, two of the beneficiaries, spoke to Joy Business. I would like to use this um, opportunity to encourage the youth out there to um, take up their sales career because there is so much reward or so much awards in the sales um, business. I would also want to use this opportunity to thank our um, lady of the house, our CEO, Mrs. Kapadofonia. Um, I stand here to be a beneficiary of Star Life Race of the Champions 2023. And as a matter of fact, I'm joining the trip to South Africa. I want to thank management for organizing such a wonderful program and then use this platform to also encourage upcoming sales executives. I encourage them to be with Star Life because we stand out to be one of the best life insurance companies. Now, Ghanaian food vendors and other petty traders in Abidjan are taking advantage of the ongoing African Cup of Nations tournament to boost sales of their food products. The traders who have been making brisk business from the thousands of Ghanaian farms who throng their restaurants on a daily basis since the start of the competition say the tournament since it started has been a huge boost to their businesses. Join us correspondent Anas Sabit has more. Inside the Ghanaian community here in Churchville, where we've come across lots and lots of Ghanaians, uh, and then food joints are scattered all over, selling uh, Ghanaian foods like fufu, banku, uh, rice, pinky, and what have you. Uh, today, we are playing the streets and we are engaging food sellers who are trading in major Ghanaian dishes. We want to engage them, we want to find out from them how their sales have been uh, prior to the tournament and then now that the tournament is ongoing. Whether Ghanaians who have, uh, you know, tripped into uh, Abidjan and their numbers are patronizing uh, their foods. Let's get speaking with these food sellers whose main target is the Ghanaian fans who are inside Cote d'Ivoire. Hey, John, I'm going buy it this time, no? and you say, wow, you're a brutal. Oh, Africa Cup, 
you also will come In fact, I'm not going to lie. 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 Again, <laughs> And I Clearly, business is booming for most of these, uh, you know, uh, food sellers we've been engaging. They are so clear now, it's for the black stars of Ghana to win their game against Mozambique. And by winning, it means more Ghanaians will be staying. And the longer the Ghanaian fans stay, the more their business or their food they are selling will be patronized uh, as expected. So they are hoping and praying that the Black Stars will win and this will keep the Ghanaian fans within town so their business will boom. That will be all for business tonight with me, Emma Davis. For more news, do log on to myjoyonline.com. Have a good evening. The business segment was brought to you by Ecobank, the Pan-African Bank. It's time you switch to Bell Park today. Whether it's 1924, 2024, or 2124, we've always known that you are driven by your sense of safety and well-being. It is what drives us too to see you through from start to finish, from small to big. And in the last 100 years, as you have evolved, so have we also expanded to serve you in many ways. From cradle to grave. With expertise in insurance, life, pensions, properties, health, and for those beautiful, memorable goodbyes. It's 2024, and in all our markets, our pedigree is recognized, our strength respected, our expertise valued, and our solutions sought by all who desire an advantage in life. Experience the time-tested and truly trusted 100 years legacy of Ghana's oldest insurer. Take charge of your future now. Insurance, life, pensions, property management, funeral services, health insurance. Enterprise, your advantage. Delivering prosperity in Africa calls for strong collaborations between African governments and business leaders where enablers of trade and growth are identified and built. Delivering prosperity in Africa calls for actionable and bankable policies that bring value addition to our vast resources. And because delivering prosperity in Africa matters, the Africa Prosperity Dialogues 2024 is themed Produce, Add Value, Trade. Join African heads of state and top business leaders from the 25th to the 27th of January at the Pedriasi Presidential Lodge, Ibri Hills, Eastern Region, Ghana. 
On the evening of the 26th of January, there will be the Africa Prosperity Champions Awards and Gala Dinner at the Kempinski Hotel, where African and global African leaders will be celebrated and awarded. Africa Prosperity Dialogues 2024, delivering prosperity in Africa. There is something that drives you. The very thought of it fuels you. And even when the road gets rocky, you keep going. Just to get the results that matter. It could be about you. It could be the lives you touch. It could be about something dear to your heart. Such results leave a sweet lingering smile, a sense of fulfillment. That's why you work till late, yet rise with the sun. Yes, your drive knows no limit. Do it with Stanwick Bank, where we spur you on to get the results that matter. For decades, we have helped businesses connect with their trade partners all over the globe. From Ghana to Burkina Faso, Côte d'Ivoire, Benin, Togo, Senegal, China, Morocco, France, Netherlands and many other countries. We have made it possible to bring Ghana to the world. We have brought small and medium businesses closer to their customers across the regions in Ghana with our SME support facilities. We have brought relief and smiles to the faces of families with our employee personal loans. With our cutting-edge technology and digital support, we take the burden of complex thinking off you, making life simple. That is who we are, as close as a partner. Bank of Africa, we are indeed the African bank with the global reach. Listen, do you know of any good medical school I can take of you to? Oh, Fifi, is that why you're looking all moody? Then I have some good news for you. The College of Medicine and Allied Sciences, COMAS, Accra, Ghana, is a degree-awarding institution, and they offer Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery using the Graduate Entry Medical Programs, Bachelor of Diagnostic Imaging, and BSc Health Information Management. All these programs are accredited by GTEC. Their bilingual curriculum prepares you to consult in French. But I'm worried about admissions. Admissions are ongoing. Contact us on Facebook or on Instagram at info.comas or call us on 0208-456-556 or send them an email info at comas.edu.gh Comas, the citadel of a holistic professional medical education. We've had news file over the weekend and uh, an interesting part of the conversation focused... Oh no! We are out of range. Oh, don't worry daddy. I have Alexa in my bag. Alex what? Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana and play Joy FM. Super Hits Radio, Radio. Joy 99.7. Listen to Joy FM, Hits FM, Love FM, live on your Amazon Echo. 
Listen to your favorite multimedia radio stations live on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, open Multimedia Ghana, play Joy FM or Hits FM or Love FM or catch up on your favorite podcast by saying, Alexa, play and then the name of your favorite podcast from Multimedia Ghana. For a list of all podcasts available, say Alexa. Ask Multimedia Ghana to browse programs. And we are back like we never lost signal. Alexa, welcome to Multimedia. Sports segments. It's brought to you by Commander DBS Industries to you. Let's go to DBS Industries. Hello, welcome to Prime Sports with me, Zach Musbao. And in some about 10 minutes from now, the Black Stars of Ghana will take to the field to play their crucial game against Mozambique, a game in which they must win to secure qualification to the next stage of the competition. But earlier, host nation Ivory Coast will now have to rely on another result to avoid a shock Africa Cup of Nations group stage exit after Equatorial Guinea trashed the elephants in a huge upset in Abidjan. Emilio Insos double, Pablo Hanet, 25-yard free kick, and Yannick Brial's late goal gave the National Thunder a famous win that sealed top spot in Group A. Well, that game was also ongoing. There was action between Nigeria and, Bukir- and Guinea-Bissau, Nigeria did defeat Guinea-Bissau by one goal to nil to uh, progress to the last 16 of the tournament. The winner came when Opa Sangante diverted a Moses Simon cross into his own net nine minutes before the break. Both sides had goals ruled out in the second half for offside, while Nigerian striker Victor Simon also had an effort disallowed for handball. In terms of the group standings in Group A, that's how it looks like, and it's Equatorial Guinea, who surprisingly uh, going to end the group top with seven points, and Nigeria also in the same point seven, Cote d'Ivoire in third place, and Guinea-Bissau leaving the tournament without any points. So Cote d'Ivoire will have to wait and see the result in other uh, group games and see if they could qualify through the third best place team's choice over there. Now, the Black Stars, I mentioned earlier, are 90 minutes away from deciding their own fates at the tournament. Two good big games have left the team with just one point. A similar situation they were in two years ago in Cameroon, during which they lost their first game due to their second and uh, uh, during the 2021 edition of the tournament. Now, ahead of the game tonight, Joyce Sports with Tanabila, who has been reporting from Abidjan, says the team is poised to deliver victory. All players are available for selection on Monday. That is so far what we have witnessed at the training grounds as the Black Stars prepares for that make or break encounter against Mozambique on Monday. It is a game that will define Ghana's future in this year's African Cup of Nations. Majida Shimeru was pulled out of that game against Egypt on Thursday. He's here training with his colleagues. Chris Hilton earlier on Sunday had mentioned that um, the technical team will assess the fitness level of Majida Shimeru and make a determination as to whether he will be part of that team that would play on Monday against Mozambique. The, the update on uh, Majid is that, um, uh, that we are um, still assessing him, but the signs are good. He will train today, 
and um, the, the signs are good that he will be fine. Um, and this was a situation in the game where we had to had to bring him off. He'd um, received uh, a kick in training before that, and um, a consequence of that meant. Uh, as he started to get into the latter part of the game, he was feeling it. Well, Richard Ofori is in post for the Black Stars. Mohamed Kudus is also starting. Joseph Pinto returns to the starter lineup, but it's Nyacho Williams who has been dropped after that holiday against Egypt. So, and 27 year Alexander Jiku, Abdul Samet Salis, Mohamed Kudus, Gideon Mensah, Joseph Pinto, Jordan Ayu, Ajida Shmera, Mohamed Salisu, alongside Dennis Odoi. And the goalkeeper of the tournament so far, Richard Ofori, continues to keep his place over there. That's all we have for you on Prime Sports. We meet Zach Musba. Sports segments was brought to you by Mende DBS Industries to you. Let's go to DBS Industries. For crystal clear and thrilling podcasts and live shows. Download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. My Joy Online, Amazon services like Echo, Amazon Music, and Audible, Stitcher, Adam Online, Overcast, and Pandora. Take note of everything. Sign up for the multimedia digital platforms now to stay updated. It's time to get stepping, because if you upgrade your DSTV subscription now, we'll step you up to an even higher package. Respect that. Upgrade now and step up to even more action. Step up to more football. Step up to more local drama. Step up to more fun and get more than you pay for. Upgrade now and get boosted to the next package at no extra cost. Visit your multi-choice branch or agent and upgrade to step up and get boosted. Bet Investment Limited. Well, time for us to do showbiz, and uh, Jackie is here. Jackie, yeah. what do you have on the table? All right, now, artists are under scrutiny today. So, in a world where time is money, concert attendees will the power to instigate change. Now, the Promised Land event hosted by King Promise in December 2023 encountered a substantial delay triggering not only a wave of discontent on social media, but also a possibility of legal repercussions. Now, during an interview on his FM with DJ Slim, lawyer Adra Pinstel shed light on the legal arena where tardy events can result in legal actions seeking damages and refunds. The stage is no longer a sanctuary for artists to keep fans waiting. Last December's Promised Land event by King Promise turned into a social media storm when the artists left fans in the dark, literally. With the clock ticking past midnight, the show finally kicked off. In an interview on Hit FM, lawyer Adjoa Pencil explained that leaving the venue when the event hasn't begun after a substantial delay grant attendees the right to pursue legal action. It looks like that they would have a right against King Promise because the show hasn't started. You have advertised or we have a contract for our show to begin at 8. I wait till 12. The show has still not started, and I leave because no reasonable person would be expected to stay 
until 12 for the concert if it hasn't started by 12. A reasonable person can say that, well, if it hasn't started by 12, it's not going to happen. And so if in that case you decide to leave, you can bring an action against King Thomas One, he refunds the money because he did not deliver. Mm. If it's the concert from 8 to 12, then I thought we haven't come. Trump is a reasonable ending for the concert. And so if I'm, I am within my right to leave and sue to recover the monies I have spent, and also for damages for breach of contract, they can, the promised land scenario, those of the attendees who left before time could actually come together and sue King Thomas if they wish. However, she cautioned that those who endure the wait until the event starts lose their standing to sue. Sometimes concepts are not just based on the starting time, but also on the opening act or the headliner. So, for instance, if I go to a concert that says, Whiskey is coming, they haven't scheduled a time for Whiskey to come. I, the concert starts all right, and Whiskey never comes. But you keep hearing, oh, Whiskey is coming, and then the concert ends, and Whiskey is nowhere to be found. You can see on those grounds, not because he was there, but because he never showed up. Well, so artists are still under scrutiny. So next time you attend events, you, you kind of see your artists. All right then. And that's how we ended today. Today we're doing, we, we've done this special because we have a special documentary on the general Ignatius Kutua Champon coming up at 8. And we're also going to support the Black Silver Do keep uh, praying for them and keep watching this channel. There's more news on myjoonline.com. My name is Samuel Kujo Brace. See you again. Go with me tomorrow.
I would like to emphasize immediately that this coup was not initiated by the armed forces merely to satisfy our selfish ends. This is man's inhumanity to man. So to me, because you are talking to me, that was a great justification for the coup of 1972. Father, take this ring. Pray for me that God may accept me as I am. This way is last at Wamasi, about 21 minutes drive from Kumasi in the Ashanti region of Ghana. In this town lived James Kudu Osekutu and his wife Ikwamenu. They were peasant farmers. After having their firstborn 17 months earlier by the name Victoria Yapukua, they were blessed with a second child on 23 September 1931. His name will be called Ignatius Kutu Echampon. Echampon began his formal education at Roman Catholic Primary School at Trabu, barely three kilometers from Fidiem. After three years at Trabu, his father wanted a city life for him. So he moved in to continue his education at St. Peter's Catholic School in Kumasi. Then eventually to another Catholic middle school in Ejusu a sizable town barely 15 kilometers south of Kumasi. Finally, in 1945, he completed his middle school successfully. Having achieved the middle school living certificate, a champion started as a teacher. As a people teacher who was uncertified, he realized he could not build a career, so he had to further his education by enrolling at the Central College of Commerce at Agnosodro in the Central Region where he completed successfully in 1949 with GCE O-Level Certificate. Based on his exemplary attitude and impressive academic conditions, the principal of the school offered him a position as a tutor a day to his graduation. Teaching was a hobby for a champion. Eventually, he was made the vice principal of the college, even though he was rising too fast. He still saw the need to acquire more skills, and so he took lessons in shorthand writing. He had gone to commercial school, and so he was very good at typing. And so when, uh, even when he was a recruit, he was always at the office doing it. But later on, he boldly told uh, the, the officer that it was not typing that he came to uh, during the army. He wanted to be a full-time soldier. And so the, 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 the senior officers became a bit worried. And so the, uh, the uh, and he was clever in the, in the army. So that forced him to learn hard so that he would not remain there to be a tapis. Young A. Champon had many plans, but of all the beautiful plans he had, he was yet to make plan for one, a woman. 
And so in 1951, he married his first wife, Ekreda, the beautiful Comfort Adrosa. He met with the, um, the traditional marriage. They were both young and it was arranged between the two families. My, they were very young. My mother was the first wife, Madame Adjosa. They had three children out of that marriage, Rose, Janet, and me, Elizabeth. He was lucky in finding good paying jobs. The erratic movement from one job to another within four years meant something. Once he got himself into the uh, Ghana army in 1953, he fell settled and never changed course again. The anchor of his life was yet to come. One day, in a conversation with his Boston friend from his hometown, Lawrence Kakari, whose only ambition was to be a soldier right from his infancy, shared with the champion the excitement and benefits of being in the army. Finally, in October 1953, after going through the cycles of life, the champion had now settled on a career choice. He enlisted in the Gold Coast Army, which will later be known as the Ghana Army. One would say this was where his journey to hell and paradise began. The champion began his military journey at the recruitment barracks in Kumasi in 1953. Ignatius Kutui Champon successfully completed the basic military training at the barracks in Kumasi. He was posted to the barracks in Tamale and later to Accra, where, with his educational background, he was placed to teach at the Burma Camp Primary School. A man who valued education continuously pursued his dream. So at night and weekend, he was always studying for the senior high school certification, the general certificate of education advanced level. He passed at the end. Meanwhile, he rose through the ranks from last couple in 1955 to couple in August following year. He was promoted to second lieutenant in May 1957. In 1958, five years after his enlistment and a year after the nation's independence, he undertook officer training course at Special Training School Rose at Teshi in Accra. This was to prepare him for advanced military studies. The roast was established in 1953, the very year a champion enlisted in the army. After enrolling in March 1958, a champion completed the six-month training later in September and was commissioned as lieutenant in November, the same year with identification number GH-77, the number confirmed him as the 77th officer to be enrolled in the Ghana Army. There were 17 cadets in this group which was designated as course 10. Ghanaian cadets in this course included J.A. Kabori, C. R. Techi Mason, Imano A. Eskin, Paka S. K. Yami, El Kweku, and George Darkon. The other cadets were from other West African countries, and among the seven or so Nigerians was Olusangu Obasangu. There were about eight of them who were selected after their gross training to go to England to have their officers training the second phase. See, at that time, after training three months or six months at the roast, then you go for further training to become full lieutenant. So this was his in 1959. 
Interestingly, the commemorative board on the walls of the office of the commandant of the Ghana Military Academy lists 16 cadets of course 10 with the name of Ignatius Kutui Champon Mason. Meanwhile, through the findings of Professor Bafwa Jimendria, author of the book Life and Times of Ghana's Head of State, he revealed that in an interview with the late General Emmanuel Esken, he confirmed he was in the same course with a champion. A champion and another person called Hadash, I think they had a problem. The problem, I'm not sure precisely what it was, but they were, I think, penned out to be dismissed a few months to completing the program abroad. And from what I discovered, there was an intervention by the then Prime Minister, Kwame Nkrumah, who was looking forward for uh, Ghana's Republic in 1960 for him to become president. He was very anxious to uh, have Ghanaians as senior officers of the military. So to dismiss two of them who are about to finish their training was not acceptable to Nkrumah. So I think the intervention of Nkrumah at the time is again what saved uh, the champion from being dismissed from the road. Because if he had been dismissed, then we have lost the whole Soon after graduating from Roast, a champion and his compatriot left for the UK for additional training at the Mars Officer Cadet Training School at Aldershot. At Aldershot, a champion met with Obasanjo again and cemented a friendship with his future Nigerian leader. To run off his training at Aldershot, a champion was put on a field observation contingent attached the British Battalion in the Wine Repital, West Germany. The whole group that went to Aldershot returned to Ghana together. As expected of all newly commissioned officers, he was to experience mass life by living in Accra for some time before being posted to the 1st Infantry Brigade in Takwari to become one of the pioneering senior officers of Ghana Armed Forces. A champion's assignment with the battalion in Takwari was short-lived. As it is expected of soldiers, he was selected the following year in 1960 to join the first Ghanaian contingent of the United Nations Peacekeeping Force in Belgium, Congo, renamed Congo Kinshasa, later Zayi, and presently Democratic Republic of Congo DRC. His selection gave him the unique opportunity as a young officer to test his military and leadership skills. The Congo crisis broke out in July 1960, barely a month after the country gained independence. The war intensified for five years before ending in November 1965. In recognition for their efforts in peacekeeping missions, some soldiers were honored and others received high commendations. Among them, was Captain Kuturi Champon, who served as a regimental signal officer for the 2nd Infantry Battalion. His feat in Congo was described as exemplary and even legendary by some of his fellow soldiers in the field. One of them, Charles Tichy Mason, recalled a mystifying incident which reinforced a champion's well-known preponderance for peaceful resolution of conflict and aversion to violence and blood. You know, he was commanding a platoon. The platoon is just about eight uh, soldiers going on a uh, patrol. And uh, in the Congo, you know, the, the Civil War during the 60s, and I think somehow they found themselves surrounded by the Kalanjis who were the Congolese uh, military 
may call them bandits. And somehow, through his own charm and the way uh, he has this power of persuasion, he got their leader to engage him in conversation through which they decided to uh, surrender to him. So with his eight men, he was able to lead 200 Karaji to the uh, camp where they were disarmed and were properly treated as, uh, as uh, you know, captives. So a champion's ability to engage and convince was well known amongst his, uh, his peers. That is an undisputed fact. A champion was a skilled leader and that his capacity for leadership and negotiation in saving the lives of his troops unparalleled. As much as he was doing extremely well on his mission outside Ghana, back home, things were not going all well with his own family. Because of his frequent troubles, this, however, took a heavy toll on his young family each time he traveled. Comfort Adrasa had to take the children back to Echumaitichiman. In the process, Echampon and Comfort drifted apart. Finally, after his return to Ghana in November 1962 from his second assignment with the United Nations, he and Comfort reached a mutual agreement and they divorced. After a period, Echampon found and dated the beautiful Faustina Akusio Chuma Abwaji from Isuita Kwaman in the Ashanti region. The pretty looking nurse worked at Kulubu Teaching Hospital. She was a beauty queen who won the 1958 Ghana Nursing Beauty Contest. In April 1963, the two married. With her, she had Tony and Isaac. For the next several years, a champion will be assigned important command duties. As part of his future duties, he will undertake a number of advanced military officers' course. One of said courses took him to the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth in Kansas, USA. When he fought February 1966, Nkrumah's government was overthrown by the National Liberation Council, NRC. Although a champion was not part of the coup plotters, but he was appointed by the new regime to head the Western Regional Committee of Administration. Faye Champon heading the Western Regional Administration was an opportunity to cut his teeth as a political administrator and he developed a taste for national politics. It is no doubt a champion was a special talent. He was called to a foreboding duty in Fairway Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. He was appointed to a panel of military judges constituted by the Commonwealth to try mutinous on the island. Among the 20 military officers drawn from a number of Commonwealth countries to constitute the tribunal were Colonel Yakubu Danjuma of Nigeria and Lieutenant Ignatius Kutue Champon from Ghana. The five-man long trial ended in March 1971 without bloodshed even though most rebels were guilty. The trial in the Trinidad and Tobago, you know, for, for the uh, death sentence, you have to have unanimity among the panel. And the champion was a lone voter against imposing the death penalty. As a result, no one was executed. There were eight soldiers who were on trial. And uh, in fact, one of them rose to become one of the prominent politicians later in the country. Interestingly, 
the presence of the West Africans and the tribunal was old. Yakubu Janjuma, who chaired the tribunal, had earlier been implicated in a coup. A champion will succeed in a bloodless coup a year later. After his five-month military tribunal, Lieutenant Ignatius Kutui Champon returned to Ghana in March 1971, 23 months after the military withdrew for the national protocol space. Hopes were high for the nation to sustain the new democratic era under Kofi Abufrebuzia's Progress Party government. Although military intelligence stayed alert and monitored a few distrustful characters, the soldiers were in the main and the no serious cloud of doubt about derailing the Second Republic as it happened to the First Republic under President Kwame Nkrumah. However, all was not well with the nation as the economy was in dire straits, a fall in the global market price of cocoa. The mainstay of the economy hit the country to gravely dislocate the national budget. Buzio's government inherited a dying economy and therefore had a task of arresting the situation by introducing some harsh economic measures. The first measure was to ensure the successful implementation of the government agenda by reorganizing the civil service in its own image to take full control of the state machinery. The Prime Minister's confidence in the civil service was low. He did not believe people in high strategic public positions will be loyal to carry out his policies. Hundreds were laid off in what became known as Apollo 587. Apollo 587 was a, a decision or policy of the Buzia government to dismiss a certain number of civil servants when he became prime minister. And I think it affected, uh, proportionally speaking, it affected more of uh, every uh, brethren than others only because they were more dominant in the public service. Of course, it became one of the sore points in Ghanaian politics because uh, the events didn't take it kindly, and uh, I think it was part of the reason there were so many who plots against Buzia by uh, soldiers from that region. Although the retrenchment exercise did not target any particular ethnic group, but overall, the Yewa group were affected most. This made people to attribute it to the 1969 elections where Buzia's party did not win a single seat in Vorton region. Another policy that infuriated some Ghanaians and some African countries was the policy of dialogue with apartheid South Africa. Aside the many political concerns, the government had a heavy debt of about $300 million at the time. The economy was sinking too fast. In the midst of economic meltdown, Prime Minister Kofi Abifabuzia's health was failing as well. Shortly after his radio and television address on the economy, on 31st December 1971, Kofi Abifabuzia embarked on what would be his final trip as a Prime Minister to England for medical attention. Although there are many schools of thought regarding what really happened before the 1972 coup, some believe the coup was inevitable. One of such is a former intelligence operative officer who spoke off camera. According to him, there was a call for a bloody coup by a particular group within the army. Upon hearing this intelligence, a champion decided to step in to avoid what would have been a bloodbath. 
There were many opportunities for him as head of state to have executed some soldiers who attempted to assassinate him, but none was uh, executed. Finally, on 13 January 1972, barely a month after the unprecedented devaluation of the city in a tactical move, a champion took over the reins of power through bloodless coup. A day before the coup, he was then the commander of the Southern uh, Brigade, and uh, he was able to change uh, the guards and the broadcasting and the prime minister's office and the president's office and all, which was detected by the intelligence at the time. And uh, they found that something was wrong. They called him, uh, and he said, look, no, nothing is wrong. I'm just trying to beef up security. Well, that, that time, you know, the prime minister had left for London for medical treatment. He said, there's nothing. I'm just trying to make sure there's tighter security, blah, blah, not knowing that the next day we are really going to overthrow them. Now, what a lot of people didn't know was that the original date for the coup was the 15th of January. But it leaked. The intelligence system got to know about it. Now, if you got to know about the people planning the coup, would you find out who were planning the coup? And in the investigations, they realized that the man who would be in the position to form the coup was the man who was planning the coup. Therefore, there was nothing there. And they didn't know how widespread it was. And so, they had to. Like the girl says, when you see, if you are in the sea, you are swimming, and the wave, a big wave is coming, what you do is, you go under. So that you are not swept away. That is why we had a bloodless with the girl in 1970. In the early hours of 13 January 1972, the nation woke up to a new dawn, a new voice, and a new leader. As Lieutenant Ignatius Kutue Champon announced on Radio Ghana that he was the new head of state of the Republic. Good morning, fellow Ghanaians. This is Lieutenant I.K. Champon. I bring you good tidings. Bruce's hypocrisy has been detected. We in the armed forces have today taken over government from Buzia and his ruling Progress Party. With immediate effect, the constitution is withdrawn. Parliament is dissolved. The Progress Party and all political parties are banned. Dr. Kofi Abrifo Buzia is removed from office. The leader of the position is dismissed. All members of government and parliament should report at the nearest police station for their own safety. Senior military officers responsible for internal security operations in the regions we take over government property at the residences. Please stay by your radios for further announcements. God be with you. Incidentally, a champion had announced his rank as Lieutenant Colonel, not knowing that just a day before his coup, the Chief of Defense Staff had authorized his promotion to Colonel. It was at the studio that a colleague prompted him of his new rank. Air Vice Marshal General Ashley Larson is the only surviving member of a Champions NRC cabinet of 1972, who later became his Chief of Defense Staff CDS. As seen on the screen, he was sitting at the right-hand side of General Champion when he gave reasons for his bloodless coup. The government is a military government. 
which will rule with advice from certain eminent civilians in the country. I would like to emphasize immediately that this coup was not initiated by the armed forces merely to satisfy our selfish ends. As I said in my earlier broadcasts, the takeover was occasioned principally by the hypocrisy of the Buzia regime coupled with the inefficient management by that regime of our economy. The malpractices which existed before the 1966 coup are still with us and there was no prospect of seeing an end of them. Matters got steadily worse, especially in the economic field, and it became obvious that the Bolivia government had no clue as to how to arrest the position. In simple terms, we are almost like a nation at war without an external enemy. The National Redemption Council has therefore decided to place the economy of Ghana on a war footing. We are soldiers, we know one way of dealing with crisis situations, and that is action. It's part of Ghana attending the National Defense Force in India. And um, so I cannot say for sure that um, all what he said concerning what Buddha was doing actually did take place. But I know before I left for India that Buddha's policy was beginning to affect some of our benefits in the military, which most officers didn't like. And I can champion repeat this as one of the reasons why they also made it school. He named the National Redemption Council, NRC, as a new government under his leadership. On the first day, he mentioned five names as members of his council. On the second day, he expanded it to ten. And on the fifth day, he added two more. Well, the NRC government, when it was formed, had a chapel as head of government, and then they had his three accomplices, namely Lieutenant General Ago, oh no, Major Ago, Major Barr of the 5th Battalion, Tony Sullivan of the Reconnaissance Squadron Regiment, and um, those were the three officers who were part of the coup. And um, I came in as the Chief of Defense Staff. As he championed so to avoid counter-coups, some loyalists of the dethroned Progress Party government also planned to organize a resistance. They included Ministers Reginald Al Aponsa, KG Jose Bunsu, Chief SD Dumbo, and the General Secretary of the Progress Party, B.D. Darocha. The idea was to mobilize party faithfuls for demonstrations in Accra and Kumasi. But unfortunately, it failed because the main avenues for public communication at the time were already under the control of the military. 
to stage a coup or to be part of a coup, by the time once you hear, you've heard it with your ears, you're already guilty. The day before the coup. I went stood before the adjutant and told him we were staging a coup the following day. And that I want the keys to the armory. And then I have briefed all the various groups in my in the unit what they were to do on that day. You know, and Agbo, Major Agbo, he was supposed to take the, over the airport. I was communicating with him, sending reinforcements to him. And various things. And the, the gentleman was to cut the telephone lines. I took him to uh, 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 T Junction, Labadi T Junction. I took the first gentleman there. And uh, when I spoke to him, he was becoming redder and redder every time. And I was afraid he was going to collapse on my, on my <laughs> in the car. And I brought him back. He said, Jewel, this one I can't read, please. He said, my, my friend, he's not, he's not, he's not here to, to, to say that you want to take part in the book. I will advise you to get involved because the day you say you want to get involved in the, in the book, that day you sign your death warrant. The Champon Glando School comes with a lot of unanswered questions. For instance, how was it possible that he was able to plan and execute a Glando School at the blind side of the intelligence community? So on the actual day, the officer was asked to go and take over the Flagstaff house. The officer was nowhere to be found. So at Champon, uh, at that time he was a kennel. Colonel Champon and, and uh, Major Bedu, they came to Reiki because I was actually controlling the, the operation from my end. Then they said, then Champon came and said, oh, Joe, uh, Flaxaf has, has not been taken. The officer will come for it. Then I said, oh, don't worry, I will send a, a company through the uh, 37. In those days, it, it used to be, it was not a runabout. So they send a, so a company through there, and I'll go through the switchback group. So by the time the company arrived, I alone, with my driver, with one ferret, we, we entered Flagstaff House. Then I jumped out of the, out of the ferret, and then I started shouting. I said, no matter who you are, I want you to come to where I'm standing. Put your arms on the right and lie down. And I'm counting 10. By the time I finish counting 10, if you are not here, you have yourself to blame. And you know, you remember, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So let there be a booming from Captain Chua Kwamisu. And there was a booming. And they obeyed. He called him, including General Kufu, who became the head of state. Shortly after becoming head of state, Ichampong was met with an immediate challenge to bring back Dr. Kwame Nkrumah from self-exile. Some CPP lawyers told Ichampong has stitched the coup to bring him back, but these told had to be countered. So the NRC released an official statement to the Daily Graphic, which was published in early March 1972, to set a record straight with a screaming headline, Coup not for Nkrumah. Barely two months after, Nkrumah passed away on 27th April 1972 in Bucharest, Romania. Even though it was a sad event, 
But then Krumah's judge came with a challenge and a test for Ghana's foreign relations, particularly with West African neighbors because of the aliens' compliance order by the Buzia administration. Neighboring countries harbored strong ill feeling and resented Ghanaians for maltreating their citizens. In the context of African unity, which was the mantra for Nkrumah's government, Buzia's policy to expel the undocumented uh, aliens in the country uh, was uh, more or less seen uh, with uh, serious reservations by most progressive Africans. And uh, I think that uh, Champon played a role in that. Because as a young officer, he was sent to the flower border with his soldiers to keep order at the border crossing for these departing so-called aliens. Uh, what he witnessed, what he saw there, became part of a burden on him that may have even influenced him to organize that group. Because the experiences at the border was so scandalous, he couldn't just take it. The Guinean president, Amma Secretary, who made Nkrumah honorary co-president in Guinea was so angry that after Nkrumah's death, he didn't want to release the body to Ghanaians because he felt Nkrumah was betrayed by his own people. In spite of his difficult stance, a champion being a man of honor had earlier sent Nkrumah's son, Francis Nkrumah, to Romania to bring back his alien father home for further treatment. Upon his return, he informed a champion that his father was not in good condition to travel. Therefore, his father's wish was for his body to be buried in his hometown. As a visionary leader, he introduced the principles of redemption, which outlines six-point revolutionary agenda aimed at making Ghana a transformed modern nation. They included the following. One, one nation, one people, one destiny. 2. Manpower development and deployment. 3. Revolutionary discipline. 4. Principle of self-reliance. 5. Service to the people. And finally, number 6. Mobilization of the spiritual, intellectual, and work power of the people. This revolutionary charter is not only a guide to those who lead our nation in government, in business, in thought, and in culture, but also constitutes the basic tenets that must inspire every man, woman, and child in Ghana. A champion's patriotic spirit was truly unique. He once told the media not to tarnish the image of Ghana for personal glory. Uh, we are not saying that those who um, contribute articles to foreign press are not patriotic. We are not saying that. At least you can earn some foreign exchange when you go on holidays go to a nice hotel and enjoy yourself. What we are saying is that don't destroy your country. You are free to write whatever you want. You can criticize the government, then we will set up. But don't destroy. See, when you know what you are writing is wrong, it isn't it is true and it's meant to subvert, to create disaffection, to create confusion in the country, then you are doing more harm than good. Because if the country collapses, you are within it. It doesn't collapse for me or for the colleagues. All of us are inside. He simply wanted Ghanaians to believe in the country. Therefore, he needed to condition the minds of the people towards patriotism. Part of the uh, chapter of redemption was to revise the national anthem to be more patriotic. If you know, you realize that the immediate post-independence uh, national anthem was written by Philip Beho, 
but it started with the line, lift high the flag of Ghana. A champion's version that still stands today is the one that starts with God bless our homeland, Ghana. Another major concern of the NRC government was how they were going to manage Ghana's debt, which was $300 million then, a huge amount at the time. The NRC decided to find ways to stall, if not completely avoid such payment. Therefore, it segmented the approaches to debt obligations into two. First was to rearrange the payment of those found to be legitimate, and secondly, to identify debt that was illegitimate. Further, as part of his plans to strengthen the Ghanaian city, Ichampon nullified the Buziak devaluation in a public broadcast. He ordered the Bank of Ghana to deal at the rate of one new city equals 78 US cents. In other words, the regime had revalued by 42%. Though this action strengthened the city superficially to give temporary respite to the pricing of some locally produced items. After outlining the principles of the NRC, his government decided to scrutinize a number of contracts that were signed by the Buzi administration. In doing so, some contracts were classified illegal. However, a champion in a public broadcast on February 5 announced the immediate repudiation of some $94.4 million of Ghana's debt which amounted to a third of the total debts. The action was indeed radical. The first time the nation stood against foreign creditors in such a public way, for radicals or nationalists, this was a refreshing policy in economic relations. The debt repudiation announcement was carried with a screaming headline by Daily Graphic in a pointed and blunt account language expression, meaning we won't pay. If you look at how he was able to stand up against the IMF and the other international monetary institutions, the fact that he was the only government, or his was the only government that never borrowed a penny from anywhere, from Chromatin today, he is the only leader who never borrowed. The fact that he put the weight of the state behind indigenous entrepreneurs, hoping that they will become the centers of development in their various industries for the nation. If you look at all these kind of uh, initiatives, not to mention Operation Feed Yourself and the other things that he did, then you cannot help but admire this person in terms of his vision for the country. As part of his policies on building Ghanaian businesses, the champions NRC government fully supported Ghanaians who showed promise in entrepreneurship, particularly those for the established businesses. The thought of a champion's aim of developing Ghanaian entrepreneurs was not just a dream, but it was a reality. He introduced policies including tax holidays, sovereign guarantees, and other incentives that led to the emergence of a number of burden local entrepreneurs. Amongst some of the local entrepreneurs to benefit from a champion vision was Edward Osebwachi, whose watching mattress became a foremost manufacturer of Gilazi mattresses in West Africa. Wachi put on the first private modern hospital in Cantonment, which would later be seized years later and turned into a police hospital by the Jerry Rollins PNDC military regime. Another major businessman to emerge was Benjamin Aponsan Mensah, 
popularly known as B.A. Mesa, who established the International Tobacco Ghana Limited that produced the Rotmas King-Size Cigarettes. Also impressive as an entrepreneur was Joshua Kwabnasian, who in 1973 opened the largest plant in West Africa. Sian's brewery produced the Tata beer for the local market and exported Maltics, a soft drink to nearly all other West African countries. In 1974, Ichampon went to Kofrodia to integrate the first intravenous infusion company in the country. It was established by Samuel Christian Apprenti in partnership with a Swiss investor. In the late 1960s, Apprenti Salt Industries, Pambra Salt Industries Limited, and Vacuum Salt Product Company were producing not only to the local market but was also exporting to the rest of West Africa. Car assembling also gained prominence in the economy as two entrepreneurs got a full backing of a champion's regime. A champion always had a soft spot for women. He believed in his heart that they possessed superior entrepreneurial spirit and therefore saw the need to empower them. And so in 1973, one of his aides, Samuel K. Danson, led a team to conduct a research which concluded that women were better at loan repayment and also had better multiplying effect with loans. This convinced a champion to grant women access to loans for businesses. Wives of military officers were not exempted from this wave of women empowerment. Women rose to prominent entrepreneurs during his regime. As a result, people started to spread gossips about womanizing at the corridors of power. Women who were driving BMW golf produced by Kowus were ridiculed that they exchanged their batics for cars, which became so popular in the Ghanaian Akan language for Tobago Golf. One popular policy of the Champions government was Operation Feed Yourself. This initiative allowed Ghanaians to feed themselves without importing food. Nobody has ever done anything like that before. Up to today, nobody has succeeded in doing what it did. Because Ghana exported food for the first time in thousands of tons. And we have never exported food since then. He had the belief that uh, we, could, we, could, we, could, we could use our agriculture well because he had just, he had done, come from Florida Monworth staff college in the U.S. And incidentally, this is a military academy of the highest, one of the highest institutions in the world. Some of the people who have been there, including general, the Frank General, set of being the former CDS, Major General, He realized that most of the year, most part of the year, it's uh, 
winter, winter or winter type of uh, weather. Yet they were able to grow wheat. It was one of the important wheat growing states in the US. So he asked himself, we have the sun all the year. We have rains that we could do about this do something with, except that we have dry season. If we are able to develop some uh, irrigation to support agriculture, we can do a lot. That is how he told me he got the idea of Operation Feed Yourself. Another was Operation Feed Your Industry. Through these operations, Ghana succeeded in clearing $117 million out of $180 million debt that NLC inherited from the Buzia administration. On public housing, landlords at the time took advantage of the housing shortage to demand exorbitant rental prices. The NLC decided to find a solution that was considered strategic. Kenoi Champon decreed through a press conference the reduction of rent which began on 1st February 1973. Further, it was part of its housing strategy to build state houses across the country. This plan began with the establishment of the Bank for Housing and Construction BHC to provide financial backbone to the development of housing for Ghanaians. In Accra, the Dunsman project which began with the construction of 1,000 houses was envisaged to be the largest public housing in West Africa. Also introduced were the housing estates in Teshinungwa, the development of Jolu, North Legon, and East Legon residential areas. He also knew water was an essential commodity. To improve water supply, the Ghana Water and Sewage Corporation launched a giant dam project in 1977, the Wager Waterworks. This reservoir was designed to provide a crown metropolitan area with enough water for the next 40 years, estimated to cost 20 million cities, equivalent to $20 million at the time. This was a joint venture between the Champions government and the World Bank. In Kumasi, 200 acres of land was acquired at Borkrub near the airport for development into a first-class residential area, akin to Accra's airport residential area. As part of his long-term plan for industrialization, Akosumbu Dam has started flagging its inadequacy to cater for the growing population. Kenei Champon authorized the tendering in 1976 for the construction of the second hydro project on the southern end of the Vorto Lake. In the area of education, a champion set up the Jobo Committee in 1972 to review the structure and content of education. Among the recommendations from the committee included delineating the boundaries of kindergarten, primary, junior secondary school, and lower senior upper senior secondary schools. He also built the Efiokobi and Pimgel Senior High School at Trabum in the Ashanti region. So the education policy continued very well. We tried at the second stage to try to reduce it a bit in terms of the secondary schools and all. A champion respected traditional authorities. He believed getting close to them would get him closer to the people. 
and so he always graced his presence at various traditional events. He was even honored in one of such events. Sport was another area of well-being. To improve sports generally, the existing stadiums were refurbished at the new Kanishi Sport Complex, which would later be known as Azuma Nelson Sport Complex, was built in Accra. And the champions regime, Ghana became the first African country to win the African Cup for the third time and to keep it for good. Again in 1975, David Quater known to many as DK Poison, won Ghana's first World Boxing Championship by beating Rubin Olivares to become World Boxing Council's featherweight in California, USA. A champion authorized the SMC to buy him a brand new car and also to build a house for him at Teshinungwa Estate. He presented the National Honor of Grand Medal and an amount of 100,000 cities equivalent of $87,000 at the time. On foreign policy, a champion always maintained neutral position. This enabled him to reach both the Eastern and Western Bloc countries, even though Buzia's policy of neglect had almost frozen Ghana's relations with the Eastern Bloc, but a champion managed to make amends with them. In no time, some leaders began to show solidarity by visiting Accra. As a Pan-Africanist, he continuously promoted his self-reliance program to the rest of the African countries so they can also be dependent solely on themselves instead of foreign donors. By 1975, deteriorating socio-economic conditions and popular disenchantment was ruffling the National Redemption Council, NLC. The regime's weakness and increasing ineptitude were badly exposing the Ghana Armed Forces as a whole to public riot. In the absence of political position, public pressure came primarily from civil society groups. A champion abruptly dissolved the NLC on 9th October 1975. In place of the NLC, Kennedy Champion constituted the Supreme Military Council, SMC, as the highest administrative and legislative body, retaining the position of head of state and getting promoted to the rank of a general. A champion was under intense pressure, not only from the civilian sector, but from within the armed forces, because the NRC excluded the service commanders. It was just a champion and some colonels and majors. The service commanders who were generals and commanding the Navy, the Army and the Air Force were not included. So they were threatening some kind of severe or dire consequences if the changes were not made. So he changed it from NRC to SMC, bringing into the government all the service commanders. So that was a tactical move to kind of uh, uh, to, to, to stop a potential that was coming from the senior officers. This move by General Echampon was leading to his ultimate death. July 5, 1978, his CDS and friend Frederick Akufo and his colleagues sprung a surprise on General Echampon, SMC chairman, 
who also doubled as Minister of Defense. At about 8.30 a.m., the door to his office opened. Without notice, Lieutenant General Frederick Ekofo and his CDS entered, followed by Army Commander Major General Odate Walton, then the Navy Commander, then the Air Force Commander, and the Border Guards Commander, all in uniform. At this time, he still had no idea what was going on. He therefore asked, is this an invasion? Nobody laughed. They were looking at him. They didn't salute him, as protocol demanded. And there came the surprise. Walton pulled a small piece of paper and placed it in front of the general to sign. General Champon read through and saw that was his resignation. At this time, he knew it was no more a joke. It was a mutiny. Initially, he decided not to sign, but Walton insisted he would sign. Upon realizing he was trapped, he took a deep breath and signed. Without a single shot fired, the champion's bodyguards were disarmed and taken prisoners. Lieutenant General Fred Akufo becomes the new head of state of SMC2. He accused General Champon of many things. According to podcast historian Uber Yahoo Asamoa, as listed in the book Life and Times of Ignatius Kutui Champon, some of the allegations included vesting executive power in himself, thus enabling him to ignore collective decisions, sharing favors on favorite military officers, appointing eight and others of doubtful competence, and many more. It is important to note that of all the many allegations against the champion, none of the charges pinpointed any particular corruption or misappropriation of funds as it was popular allegations prior to its overthrow. June 4, 1979 Against the backdrop of an ongoing trial of Jerry Rollins, his friends from the Free African Movement led a successful coup to overthrow General Akufo and his SMC2 government. Rollins was indeed rescued from custody to lead the Armed Forces Revolutionary Council, AFRC, which was formed to run the country. Akufu uh, inherited a bad situation. You see, he could have waited for a champion to sort it out or to be overthrown if uh, that was going to be the case. He inherited a very bad situation. The country was in a turmoil. And when he inherited, he was not quick to find a solution by, of course, he came up with the idea of organizing elections for things to happen, and the young soldiers led by Rollins said, no, we have to clear you guys before we even do the elections. So he came at the wrong time, to a wrong place. So in the end, himself and the former friend he betrayed, and all the colleagues in that regime, unfortunately, had to pay with their lives. This was the military. We are not talking about chicken boys here. In the midnight, I got a call. Do not ask who is speaking. Tomorrow, you are the words of the, the speaker. Tomorrow, some people are going to face the fire squad. Get ready to prepare them. So, uh, 
sudden drop. All there until about 5.30 a.m. A whole lot of soldiers came, were surrounded the building, and then they were marching him. I was in the Chinese side of church. We're marching him in there. So I got out and met the soldiers at the entrance and the shoulders. He took his ring. And this was his last word, Father, take this ring. Pray for me that God may accept me as I am. This was his last word. Hello, good evening and welcome to PMS Press. My guest tonight is a man who attempted to build trains in the sky in Great Accra, a very famous project. We will talk to him about that, but he is also the incumbent member of parliament for Isikado Keitan constituency. He's retired, at least at the end of the elections on December 7th. He's not returning to parliament. He's retired as a member of parliament. We'll see whether he remains a politician when we talk to him. He was also Ghana's Deputy Attorney General once, and then subsequently a substantive Attorney General and Railways Minister. Of course, as I talked about rings, you may have uh, picked up on that, that he was in charge of our railway sector for a while. He is my guest tonight. He is Joe Gatti, and he's spending his last few days in Parliament before the December 7 elections. I'll be picking his thoughts about politics, about Ghana, about a sector that he led, and about the MPP. PMS, this is always brought to you by Syntex Tanks. It's also brought to you by Alomo Betes and the Ghana AIDS Commission. When we return, 
I guess we'll hear his thoughts. Mr. Gatti, thank you for your time here on PM Express. Thank you very much. Thank you. After 20 years in Parliament, you decided to retire. Why? Uh, not retire from politics. Please. No, retire from Parliament. I yes, guess. yes, let's make that clear. Well, this is time for everything. And um, I, I said in the beginning, really, my plan in the beginning was to go uh, 16 years. But that was the first time of the Kufado government. And I have some very close friends in government who said to me that, I mean, if you, if you don't leave halfway, let us finish with the, the term of the current president and let's take it from there. If you look at your political fortunes in, in Skano Ketan over the last few elections, it's been on the downward decline. Last year, for example, last elections was, was, your, was your poorest year. Is that part of the consideration? Not at all. Last year, they did skirt and blouse. Yeah, the president did, was actually... Yeah, they did better. 33,000 plus, you were yeah. in, you know, 26,000. Yeah, they did skirt and blouse, and we, we know the reason why. I'm not going to say... I'm not, going to, I'm not going to say it on, 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 on a public forum, but we know the reason why, and um, that reason has been corrected. Uh, what is skirt and blouse? Skirt and blouse is MP people who voted for this thing. And you know that, uh, Chief, people go one term, and the people are looking for them to be there. I mean, you mentioned second but it's actually not exactly so. The, the president was just more popular than you in your constituency, because you so won. Yes. Yeah, but, but, but the what, president got significantly far Yeah, so what, what, so happened, that, what than happened that people voted for the president, but voted against me? Yes. Because that was, there are so many, I don't want to say, we're going to another election. If I, people are listening well on the other side. If I, we found out the reason. And if yes, I, became unpopular. Far from that, if you go with me, I invite you to come with me to the constituency. If I become more popular, just now when I go around, it's amazing. It, it leaves good bumps on me. I went to Pinton, an area called Pinton. I went for a funeral there. Unfortunately, I reached there uh, around 5, 5 30 because I had gone to other funerals. The town nearly came to a standstill, shouting, yeah, papa, boo, yeah, papa, ba. Last time, last week, I went to Tankofu. People are telling me, when I went to Tankofu, they were singing a song. I have a song, and People say, why are you going? If you go, who is I say, no, no, don't worry. Like Elijah and Elisha. Elijah did 